Uh, we're in John. <laughs> so we're in John 6, 36 through 47. And here at Salt and Light, we value being scripture saturated. This is one of the values that we hold dear here to the church, right? We value preaching through books of the Bible because the Bible is the bedrock. It is the foundation. It is what we trust and we know to properly worship God. This is what we need in order to properly worship him, right? We fully believe that all scripture is breathed out and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training up in righteousness that make man complete. It equips us for every good work. So my goal here is that through faithful Bible preaching, we would find ourselves equipped for the work of ministry. And that equipping would also, in turn, we would be able to see the worth of the person of Jesus. That we would fall in love with Jesus, who he is, right? Not just a laundry list of things that we must do and accomplish, but really to fall in love with him. So equipping you for the work of ministry, what that looks like, but also falling in love with who the person of Jesus is. So when we go through sections of scripture this way, we're going to bump into challenging texts sometimes. We're going to see this and be like, ah, that doesn't sit well here, maybe. So my prayer is that we would be trained up and we would be equipped for every good work. That this word today would also encourage us as well as convict us. Because remember, last week we talked about Jesus is the bread of life. We went last week that there were two types of food. Food that is one, eternal, that lasts, and food that perishes, one that rots away. And Jesus is the food that will keep us satisfied. He is the food that is eternal. He is the food that leads us to life. So the word, right, the Bible itself is the word that transforms us. It's not Joshua Shortridge, right? It's not me. It's his word that transforms. So before we dive into the scriptures, I want to give you a background of where we're at to where we're going. I like to do this so we can get a concept of where we're at in the word of God. So we saw in the beginning of chapter 6 that Jesus fed thousands of people with the miracle of five loaves and two fish. Then he sent his disciples away, right? And then they were out on the sea. They were halfway through there. Remember, we were talking about them rowing against the waves. And then Jesus came walking on the water. He got into their boat. And the next day, people wanted to come and hear about the miracle of Jesus. But they didn't want him. Right? They didn't want him for who he is, but for what he provides. They don't want him because he's God. They wanted him because they provide him food. They don't want the Savior. They want the stuff. And then he corrects them. And he corrects their thinking and reveals to him that they are the bread of life, the only one that can truly satisfy, that everything else will leave you hungry. In this chapter, we will see the progression from them going to grumbling to fighting, right? So it says that they grumble, but then down in verse 52, it says disputing. That word in the Greek is fighting. That's what it means. So you'll see this progression of the revelation of the true nature of Jesus and what it does to people. 
People will get more and more mad as he reveals to them their inner hearts. That even though that they value the miracles, they don't value the Messiah. And the more you know about Jesus, the more he requires of you. Think about it this way. Me and Dev, I got to look at a house this week. We're looking at moving. We walk into the house, and it had a fresh coat of paint. It had new floors and all that stuff. It, everything looked good. I w- went upstairs. I looked, and everything looked fine. There was no noticeable issues. But we went into the basement and noticed that there was an area where some moisture had come in, and, and there was a little bit of s- sl- sagging, a little bit, just a little bit of sagging, right? But they didn't have any lights on in that room, right? They had no light bulbs in that room. So I had to take my phone out, and I I looked in, and I put the light on, and I noticed the potential problem. But the problem itself would not have been noticed if it stayed in the dark. I wouldn't have been able to see it. I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have cared. So the closer that we get to Jesus, the more darkness in your life flees, right? Because he is the light of the world. Remember in John 3, we learned that he is the judgment and the light comes into the world, right? He is the light, so they comes into the world, but people love their darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So what Jesus says in this chapter really upsets people, right? He has exclusivity, right? No one can come to the Father unless they go to him. And also, election, right? That no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. So there's two things that we're looking at in this text that can bristle up against, bristle up against who we are. The exclusivity that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, no other way. Or the election that no one can come to the Son unless the Father himself draws him. So what we have to do is we have to look at this text. We have to examine it. We have to read it. So what I want to do is, honestly, I'm going to read the entire section, right, of where we're at. And then we're going to pick up and talk about verses. So verse 35, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said it to you, and you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but on the last day, raise it up. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him on the last day. Notice in verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say he has come down from heaven? But Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourself, for no one can come to me, no one can come to Jesus, unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. For it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father, except him who is from God, has seen the Father. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. 
That's that beautiful Oreo cookie of I am the bread of life. That so much is packed in between those two layers of I am the bread of life, all this discourse, I am the bread of life. So the three points of my sermon are security by Christ, scrutiny by people, salvation by Christ. Um, Feel free in your notes, you can open them up, take down whatever notes that stick out to you, be praying and and meditating on them, whatever, um, that is a tool for you to use at your discretion. Verse 35, I'm going to read it again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. So this is the Father's will, verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that the Father has given me, but I will raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks at the Son and believes him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus lays the foundation. He says, whoever comes to him will never hunger. Whoever comes to him shall never thirst. Whoever. See, we can read this Bible and we can think like, yeah, of course, of course. But get into the first century context. Get into the mind of these people. See, this is one thing that we need to understand. In the first century, you had two people groups. You had the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The Messiah was coming to the Jews, In Galatians, it says, now that there is neither nor Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, all you are one in Christ, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when we become a Christian, the Bible itself becomes our family book. It becomes our history as well. According to Galatians, it says that when you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, according heirs to the promise. Even this little bit of truth, that there is neither slave nor free, nor Jew nor Greek, causes some friction. There is, Jesus is saying that there is no advantage to being Jewish in birth only. That you must be born again, that whoever is born again, then he, and he alone, is the offspring of Abraham. doesn't matter what you were born into. If you were born Jewish, Jesus is telling them, whoever comes to me, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what race they are. Christianity is a global faith that transcends all ethnical, racial, cultural, geographic, socioeconomic, and educational barriers. I want to say that one more time because we get this thing that's going on in the culture. I want you to hear this, that Christianity is a global faith that transcends all ethnic, racial, cultural, geographic, socioeconomic, and educational barriers. Paul, a learned Jew who was taught by one of the best teachers, was a part of the body as well as fishermen, both leaders in the church. Tax collectors and zealots hated each other in the church. If you look in Acts, you can see the various regions that they came from. 
You have Middle Eastern, Northern Africans. It's amazing what God was building that Christianity transcends all this and we become one body. God offers this forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. And he offers it to all types of people. And John drives this point home over and over and over and over again. Eleven times alone in the first part of John. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes shall never thirst. Whoever believes shall never be cast out. Whomever believes shall have eternal life. Whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus is Radically inclusive, but in his exclusivity. He is radically inclusive. He wants to bring the entire world together under this. But he's also exclusive. That the Jewish Messiah is going to save the people, his people, his people from the whole world, not just the nation of Israel. Neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, neither rich nor poor. He can make any dead man alive. Verse 36, he says, but I said this to you and you see me. You see me just like everybody in this room sees me with their eyes. You see me, you do not believe. Seeing Jesus isn't enough. And and if you're struggling with this, know that if you think you just saw one miracle... If, you, if your logical brain could be like, man, this finally makes sense. If I saw this man do something crazy like feed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. If I just saw that, I would believe in him. Please do your favor, yourself a favor and look at the Galileans as your litmus test. You would not believe. You have to be given to Jesus by the Father. Verse 44, it even makes it more clearer. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. So if you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, in in the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture, mind you, there's a lot of Jesuses that people might trust in, but I'm not talking about one of your own creation. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, The one appointed mediator between God and man. The God who became human. The one who lived without sin. Perfectly fulfilled the law. Suffered and died upon the cross for salvation of of sinners. The one who was buried. Rose again on the third day and ascended to the Father. The one who lives at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people. The one mediator, the prophet, priest, king of the church. The one who is sovereign over the universe. That's The Jesus I'm talking about when I ask you if you're a Christian. If you believe in that Jesus, rejoice. For it's not by sheer willpower that you believed yourself to be a Christian. It is not by sheer willpower that you went from life to death. From death to life. It is the Father drawing you to Jesus. The Father is active agent in your conversion. Many people I know think that once they slip up, they might lose their salvation. But don't take my word for it. Read the word of God, please. 
Remember, the Bible is our foundation. We can't just rely on our feelings, right? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. Once you are in Christ, you are secure. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me. And I will raise them up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, this is not our home. The earth is passing away. We are sojourners, and we are going to be raised on the last day. Jesus uses this term, the last day, multiple times. So it's important to notice that Jesus is talking about the time when we resurrect, when we get new bodies, when we go and get to live in new heavens and new earth, where there will be no more sin, no more death, no more suffering. Walking with God face to face like when we were in the garden back in Genesis 2 before the fall. Our coming to Christ is not because of our own willpower but it is the result of the infinite, all-knowing Father drawing us to Jesus. We were given to Jesus before the foundations of the world. So it's not merely because of Jesus' compassion for the lost, but the fact that he's obedient to the Father's will. Jesus welcomes each one of us that are brought to him, but we are brought by the drawings of the Father's love. Do you know what this means? Remember the first point that I've been trying to get to, because this is, this is a hard thing to talk about, is that there is security in your salvation. There is security in your salvation, in our salvation. The security in salvation rests not upon anything that we do. It is not in us or from us, but upon the Father's choice and the Son's obedient love. Our security is secure. This is something that can't be wavered. Paul writes that he is convinced that nothing can even separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, whether fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in sky above, earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that is God that revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, right? Thank you, Lord. Amen to that. There's nothing that can separate us. This is why we need to be scripture saturated. This is why we need to be in the Bible. This is why we need to read this. This is why we need to know who Jesus is. This is why we need to know what he accomplished. This is why we need to know because we can live this out. It's a wonderful truth. We must be scripture saturated. We must know that our security doesn't rest upon us, but the sovereign choice of God, the creator and sustainer of all. The Father is the one who draws men to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who keeps men to himself. And they will be raised on the last day. And people hated this. Scrutiny by the people, second point. So the Jews grumbled about him, and he said to them, I am the bread of life that come down to heaven. And he said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whoever the, the, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, has he come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble amongst yourself. 
I love how to the point Jesus gets. These people refuse to believe this. They do not want to believe this because they are in darkness and they love darkness rather than the light. But Jesus is being clear. He is telling them in plain language. He's telling them the relationship between him and the Father, that he is the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus gives them more and more clarity. Naturally, you think that would lead to more and more agreement, but no. They're saying, I get you. I need to trust in you for salvation. But then they start grumbling. It's the same thing that the Jewish people did back in Exodus when the bread of heaven called manna came down. They grumbled as well. The bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus gives it more and more clearly. We like to grumble. When we focus on our circumstances, not Christ, we live a life of grumbling, not thanksgiving. So when we focus on our circumstances, not Christ, we live a life of grumbling and, thanks, instead of, and not thanksgiving. Instead, instead of rejoicing in Jesus, Jesus gets re, uh, resistance. So the question I have for us is, are we grateful or do we grumble? Do we rejoice or are we resistant? They're grumbling because what he says doesn't fit what they think they know about him. That's the reality. What he says doesn't fit with what they think they know about him. They don't trust his words. They don't believe in what he's saying. They look for a way out. They look for a way to justify their belief. Isn't this Jesus, son of Joseph, son of Mary? We know his parents. In other words, ah, this guy can't be from heaven. There's no way because he's from earth. We know where he came from. So Jesus' words about himself collide with human understanding of what is possible. This guy can't be from heaven. He's got to be from earth. My senses tell me that he's from earth. But know that when you resist Jesus, you resist life. Salvation by Christ. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Jesus cannot say this more clearly. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to him unless the Father draws him. If we learn one thing from this passage, it's that Christ is a stumbling block to the natural man. That you must be born again. That you must be drawn to the Father. That if you aren't drawn, then you won't be made alive and you will not respond to the gospel. Yeesh. Jesus goes on to Jesus goes on to say that he is the one who has come from God. So Jesus is the one and only unique perspective to teach us these things. He's the one that has come from heaven. So I was listening to a podcast, and uh, they were discussing the afterlife, and one man said to another man, man, if somebody came back from the dead, and I mean came back from the dead, not just died for 30 minutes and then came up where they still might have the possibility of hallucinating due to dopamine or whatever, releasing. If 
somebody would come back from the dead, I would believe what that man said. And I was flabbergasted because I was like, that's Jesus. Jesus is the one you're talking about. And Jesus is the one with the answers that you are seeking. But the natural man refuses to come to him. Jesus is a stumbling block. These people in the podcast are not believers. They're actually adamant disbelievers. They would say that he is a myth, not a real person, didn't actually exist in bodily form. But Jesus is the one to the answers which you are seeking. But people will refuse to come to him. Jesus not only died and rose, so he should have some authority to speak on the afterlife. But Jesus says that he is the bread that comes down from heaven, that he is God in flesh, that he is the only unique perspective to the answer of life's questions. Jesus being unique person in the Trinity, that means that he has seen the Father. So he alone can teach and have authority on the things of God. So when Jesus teaches that they are being, they are being taught by God, do, do you get that? That when Jesus is teaching, they are being taught by God. He's not a mere prophet. When Jesus heals, they're being healed by God. When they're being fed, they're being fed by God. So everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he's talking about himself, has seen the Father. If you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. Like now, you have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. This is another thing I hope we can hold on to if we are Christians in this room, that when you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. Not that you get eternal life, but you have eternal life. You have it. At this very moment, the sinner who believes in Christ has been justified and accepted. The believer that believes in Jesus has been justified and accepted. And what a beautiful truth that is. There is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. We have peace with God, and we have it immediately without delay. Our name is written in the book of life. Beloved, it doesn't matter how you feel about this truth. Feelings do not necessarily mean truth. But if you trust in Jesus, your life is hidden in Jesus, which death and hell and Satan cannot overthrow. Verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You will never be cast out. You are safe in Christ's arms. You have been made alive, and you have access to the Father, never alone in this world. His Spirit indwells within you. You are a portable temple. You are salt and light to a decaying and dark world. And this is good news. But some people don't even see it. Jesus is a stumbling block to some. Even in our day, people will say, you know what, for the most part, his moral teachings I will approve. Feeding of the hungry is fine. Clothing the naked, caring for the poor, I'm all for that. They might pick and choose what they like. Even his example of self-denial is something to admire. The idea of washing his disciples' feet. The idea that the last shall be first and so on. But next week, we're going to see Jesus as he begins to open up the meaning of his true purpose. 
that Jesus is God become human without sin, that he perfectly fulfilled the law, suffered and died upon the cross for the salvation of sinners, that he was buried and rose again on the third day, and he ascended to his Father. He begins to talk about flesh and blood, and a dead man cannot tolerate the atonement, the sacrifice, the substitution of Christ. Speak to somebody about the blood of Christ, that Christ has made sin for us, that Christ's death is our hope, that in Christ's poverty we have riches. When you start talking about this part of Christianity, people will grumble. Just like the people grumbled at Jesus' teaching. You might say, how can you say I'm not good? Do you know what I do? What if I told you that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training up in righteousness? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And also the Bible says that none is righteous, not one. No one understands or seeks out after God. For if you love darkness, and who is dead hate this reality. The reality is we're, we're not good, right? We're not good. No one, all people, are in need of a Savior. And some of you might hear that in this room and hate that truth. People will refuse to believe this. They do not want to believe this. Because people in darkness love the darkness rather than light. But if you hear these words today, if you hear these words today, know that the Lord is drawing you to trust Jesus today. So I say turn from darkness, turn from sin, and come to him today. I've heard it said that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So I just want to leave you with this. Jesus' words, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Father, thank you. Thank you for the men and women in this room. Thank you for the children in this room. Thank you that they are being brought up in an environment full of love, compassion. I pray that they would grow strong. Father, give us wisdom as we learn to love the city, learn to love each other, learn to care about the things that you care about. Father, I pray that we would be equipped for every good work, that we wouldn't pick and choose what the Bible says, but we would take it at face value. Give us wisdom on how to preach. Give us wisdom on how to receive. Give us wisdom on how to minister, because we are all portable temples of being able to love and lead in our own context, whether that's lying at the grocery store or at the gas station. Give us divine opportunities. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. favorite parts of the service. It's this proclamation of the gospel again, and we do it here after the message, 
because it, communion is really, it's a celebration of the gospel, the good news. What was just preached always has the gospel message in it. It's an invitation to be applying that message that